is a disclaimer from Hannah Squire to say that the opinions that I express in this episode and all the other episodes I'm a part of as part of the Paraphylite Society podcast are my own and do not reflect the Paraphylite Society as a whole. Welcome everyone to another episode of the Paraphylite Society podcast. It's Hannah Squire here and as myself, a curator and researcher focused on the women of the Paraphylite movement, it gives me the greatest pleasure to introduce Anita Horton today from the organisation Art for All by All. Anita is CEO of the campaign that is trying to persuade government to require that galleries it funds address inequalities in their collection. I actually met Anita at a brilliant activist event organised by Art for All by All at the Houses of Parliament, where a group of women, artists, curators, activists, enthusiasts and writers were petitioning lawmakers to ensure more women artists' work is in UK national collections. And I thought a podcast episode would be a great way to spread awareness of this campaign. By background, Anita does not describe herself as an artist or an art historian, but as she says, just someone who loves art and has been going to art galleries for many years. Anita is a public health doctor by background and is also a psychotherapist. So hello, Anita. Hi, Hannah. Hi. Thank you so much for joining us today. And I'll uh, get started with my first question, which is, why was the organisation Art for All by All set up? And can you tell us the history of the campaign and who is in your group? Yeah, well, it all started for me in 2013, which is just 10 years ago, when a friend of mine asked me if I'd like to go to a Laura Knight exhibition at the National Portrait Gallery. I'm ashamed to say, well, I, I won't say ashamed because it's not our fault if we haven't heard of these people. I hadn't heard of Laura Knight at the time, but of course I went. And I walked around that exhibition and I said to my friend, these paintings are amazing. Mm, yes. Why haven't I seen them before? Why haven't I heard of Laura Knight before? And it was really, that was the first time that it started to dawn on me that the art that I'd been seeing over the years and years I'd been going to galleries had all been by, by men. Mm. I, I really hadn't, I hadn't clocked for me at all. So that was the beginning and my awareness was raised. And then three years later, the Royal Academy put on their exhibition, Painting the Garden from Monet to Matisse. Well, I thought, great, because there is surely no shortage of paintings of gardens by women. Mm. So I went along with great optimism and I walked round and round and round that exhibition and I found not a single painting by a woman. I found one painting by a man of colour, and that was the extent of the diversity. So at that point, I wrote to the director of the RA, who was Charles Samaray at the time, and I asked him if, as a member, I did not have the same right to see paintings by people like me as the male members had. And I had a, a long and thoughtful response from one of the female curators there, she told me that actually there had been one painting by a woman in the exhibition, um, but that they hadn't been able to find any more that either fit into the theme or were good enough. Oh, my goodness. I know. So I asked if it had occurred to them to fit the theme around diversity rather than to expect diversity to fit around the theme. Um, clearly, that was a rhetorical question. Um, so at that point, I was angry. And the first thing I did was cancel my membership. Mm. I think anger underlies most campaigns. And by now, of course, I was super aware 
So every time I went to a gallery and looked for paintings by women and found hardly any or none at all, I fumed. Every time I went to a, saw another exhibition advertised for Picasso, Matisse, Freud, Renoir, Seurat and so on, I fumed. And it was starting to really spoil my enjoyment of art. And, you know, I've enjoyed so much art by men over the years. And now I was just angry all the time. So I decided to do something about it, um, to channel those feelings into action. And that was the very start of the campaign. It was, it was that's how it was born, just one cross woman and a laptop. Um, <laughs> now I've got a wonderful group of women around me um, and we're all pretty well public sector people. Um, we've gone from really nothing to having a website, um, social media accounts, the event that you, you, it was lovely you came to in, in Parliament in November and as part of that the support of my local MP which is brilliant. Mm. And of course here I am on your podcast so thank you for inviting me. And I thank you so much for, for being here. Yeah I agree it is, um, it is incredibly shocking when you see these exhibitions even you know in 2022 that don't feature women or feature one or two um yeah it's and Laura Knight's work I agree is a complete revelation when I first saw it um so that there are many people talking about the lack of women art in our galleries these days thankfully it's definitely getting there's some momentum at the moment but what's special about uh, what you're doing and what have you done already and what are your plans goals for the future well the big difference with this campaign is twofold it's the research that underlies it. And mm. there's the specific thing that we're asking government to do. And the latter came out of the former, which I'll explain. So as you just said, I'm a public health doctor by background. So finding my way around the public sector and knowing what to look for is really my bread and butter. So that, that's where I started. And the first thing I did was a lot of research into our public galleries who funds them, who runs them, what their objectives were, what the government's requirements are of them and so on. And I also did a number of freedom of information requests to galleries asking how many paintings did they have? How many were by women? The same question about their ac recent ac acquisitions, um, their special exhibitions. And I also asked them if they actually had a diversity policy for their collection. Um, and it, it was it was fascinating stuff. Um, I think getting the data from the National Gallery was probably the biggest moment for me. Mm. About 1,056 paintings on show at that time in 2019, when I sent the request in, eight were by women. You know, eight, less than 1%. And I knew things were bad. But there was something about seeing the figures written down in black and white sent to me by the National Gallery that, that was a real shock. Mm. And the other shock I had was that they had made 11 acquisitions of paintings in the previous five years, so 2014 to 19. Just one of these had been by a woman, which is the Artemisia painting mm. that they bought in 2018. Since then, they've made, I think it's 18 more acquisitions every single other one is by men. Mm. You know, so, so we're talking about over 30 acquisitions in the last eight, nine years, one of them has been by a woman. So that 
told me all I needed to know really about how hard the gallery is trying to address inequality in their collection. Yes, I agree. It is wonderful. They have the Gentileschi. There's some great videos about the conservation work and creative of it. But when it's one out of so many, as you mentioned, it does seem kind of tokenistic, really, um, and not really working to address the issues. Because I do feel myself, the National Gallery is not one of my favourites. And you do feel, I do feel quite alienated walking around it. It doesn't feel as if it's a space for me or that I kind of want to spend much time in. So um, Anita, if you are successful in getting this policy changed, what changes would you like to see in our galleries? Yeah. So when I saw all this data, um, I, I might say, first of all, I wrote, I wrote to the chair of the board of the National Gallery. I wrote to Lord Hall, Brilliant. Um, a very polite letter saying that I was sure he knew about this dire situation and I was interested to know what he thought and whether there were any plans to change it and would he be willing to have a conversation about it and he didn't reply mm. so I wrote to the director Gabriel Fernandi um, and he did reply and he said that of course they'd had the Artemisia exhibition and um, that they were lots of people wrote to him he said with their views on what the gallery should be doing to respond to the modern world um, yes. and that they were continually thinking about how they could better reflect the diversity of the nation they served well either that isn't true or they're extraordinarily ineffective and I, so I, I was left with that and I, I think it, it was felt like a, a fob off and um I didn't feel fobbed off, I felt more annoyed. I thought, you know, don't fob me off with this. And um, so what I couldn't quite understand was how they could get away with this level of inequality in, the, in a publicly funded institution. Oh. Because having worked in the public sector all my adult life, I couldn't understand how this could, could be, you know, every public body has to have diversity on their agenda, they have to train their staff and so on and so forth. So mm. this comes to the bit where I was looking at the policy. Sorry, a bit of a long, a long route to answer your question. Um, but so what I did was I went to look at the contracts between the Department of Culture, Digital, Media and Sport, I'm just going to refer to it as DCMS, mm -hmm. and the galleries. And it's specifically with the National Gallery, the one I looked at, but it's replicated for all the galleries and museums. Because I just knew that there had to be a diversity section somewhere. And indeed there was. So in the diversity uh, section, it requires the galleries to work towards diversity in their staff and audiences. So in keeping with this, the board of the National Gallery, you may be surprised to hear, is 50% female. Oh, wow. Yeah, it has several people of colour on it. More than half their staff are female and more than half their audiences. Mm. The gallery clearly takes these requirements seriously. And of course they would because their funding depends on meeting these requirements. But what I found, and I was so amazed, is that there is no requirement for them to work towards diversity in their collection. And that was the point where I realised what the campaign had to be about. Um, and what it is, is, is aimed at persuading the government to expand the diversity policies that they have with the galleries so that the diversity requirements include art collections. Um, and that is what makes this campaign different. We're asking for something very concrete, 
something that can easily be done, would not cost any money, and something that could really make a difference. Yes, bravo. I mean, it was interesting at the House of Parliament. So I had some really lovely discussions with people who were really supportive in the government and understood. Um, and then it was interesting speaking to one of them, um, and I won't mention their name, who was talking about it's not for us to kind of get involved or tell curators what to do. But it's, yeah, when the funding comes from, the idea that you said that there isn't any kind of... Um, necessity for them to look at diversity in the collections mm. is just so short-sighted and so strange um and I wanted to actually briefly just mention so in a previous um pre-raphaelite podcast episode I spoke with Dr Jan Marsh about a Rebecca Solomon an artwork depicting Fanny Eaton that we're hoping is going to end up in a UK public collection um, mm. so I wanted to ask you Anita can you tell us um, why having female artists represented in museums is so important and gives some key examples already in UK collections? You know, that is a great question and, and I could talk for a very long time on that subject. But I think a good way of answering is to ask the question, if a child goes into our, one of our most revered galleries today, what will they learn about the world they live in? Mm. Well, currently, it, certainly if they go into places like the National Gallery, the Wallace Collection and other of the, the more classical museums in the country, they'll learn that only white men can paint. They'll learn that men are very important and that it's okay for men to subjugate women, to leer at them and to attack them. They'll learn that women can't paint, that they're passive, that they only have names if they're married to an important man that their main purpose in life is to look nice, have children and take their clothes off. If I had one ultimate goal for the, all this, and I've got lots of little goals for it, but mm. if I had one ultimate goal, it would be that we don't have to watch yet another generation of children walking through our galleries being given those messages, that mm. the next generation will see and learn something different. Definitely. Um, I realised actually myself how privileged I didn't realise I was as a child because I, I know I've mentioned this before in other podcast episodes, but I grew up a few minutes from Whitsitt Manor, which is a National Trust collection, and they've got over 30 works by women in their collection by 13 female artists. And for me... It, yeah, for me, it was just kind of, um, as a child, it's just what you see, it's just kind of what I accepted. And then as you get older and kind of visit more widely, you realise kind of how, how different it is. And it's interesting as well, you talk about the depiction of women as well in these artworks and what that conveys to um, particularly our younger generations. And do you have any favourite female artists yourself, female artists working in our public collections? Well, you know, I was racking my brains for that because it's hard to have favourite works by women when there are so few to choose from. Yes, yes. But for me, they're all favourite at the moment um, just because they're hanging there. Um, but I have to say, I was completely blown away by the Artemisia exhibition in 2020. Yes, uh, brilliant. see paintings by someone who, someone who's painting such a long time ago and yet understands so clearly what it's like to be a woman in the world was so mm. it was a completely new experience and it was like I could read my life as a woman in those paintings um, and of course the quality of painting itself is, is exquisite um, so another exhibition that has blown my mind recently is the making modernism exhibition at the RA I, I really fell for um, Katakovitz 
Mm, um, yes. You know, she's just incredible. And I looked at her paintings and drawings and especially her self-portraits, and she's so herself in them. You know, mm. she's not trying to please anyone or to look nice or play any particular role. And, and I found as I was looking at them, I just noticed that I felt better about being a woman. Mm. Um, and I asked myself, you know, how differently would we all feel about ourselves as women if we'd been fed images like that during our lives instead of the images we have been fed? Definitely. I think that's why I tend to read more female writers as well, because yet yeah, the way you depict women, it really um, kind of informs or affects how you potentially see yourself. And it's interesting you mentioned Colwitz and um, Gentileschi, because I travelled to Rome and to Berlin um, just to see their work a few years ago, because yeah, it is they are such powerful depictions of women, um, oh, yeah. really fascinating works. And that there's that wonderful one of of a mother with her child's head in her hands. I don't know mm -hmm. if you remember that one. Yes, so exquisitely touching, and I can't imagine anyone other than a mother painting it. It was actually a drawing. Um, really stunning. Yeah. And of course, every time you see these things, it makes you realise what, what you've been missing all this time. Definitely. Um, and so how can people get involved and both support the campaign and advocate their local art galleries or museums to be more representative and inclusive, Anita? Yeah. Well, one thing, there are all sorts of things you can do. I mean, first, just go to art galleries. And whenever I go, I always ask them where the art is by women, because mm. I just need to sort of make your presence felt um, and, and go and look at the art. And I've got a, um, a, an activity sheet, which I'm about to put up on the website. I'm going to do it tomorrow, um, which is to help your thinking and help you to know what to notice when you go into galleries. Mm. Um, you know, so, so looking at the way women are depicted, looking at how many paintings are by women. Um, another thing is you can write to your MP um, mm -hmm. Tell them about this campaign and ask them, you know, could they support having this policy changed? Um, another thing is to follow us on social media. And um, that would, we're on Twitter and Instagram. Um, and another thing, if you wanted to do more, is to send a freedom of information request to your local gallery. Um, anything which is publicly run um, is you can send freedom of information requests to. And if you wanted to know what to ask, I've got my original request and you can just drop me a line via the website and, and I can tell you exactly how to do it. Thank you. That's so helpful because I think sometimes people aren't sure they want to engage, but not sure how practically they can be helpful. So that's really useful. Thank you, Anita. Um, are there any questions that I haven't asked you or topics that you wanted to touch on that we haven't spoken about yet? There was something about the whole process of getting more art by women in galleries or changes in galleries. And, you know, when you say these things, people often go a little pale um, and a lot of arguments will come up and they'll say, well, you know, you can't just get a whole load more paintings by women because they're not available. Um, there isn't enough art by women. The galleries have no money. They don't want, they can't remove paintings that are already there and so on and so forth. Sarah Biffin was a, a disabled woman who was uh, painting in the 1800s. And 
she had no arms and she painted everything with her mouth. I think she had no legs either. And Philip Mould Gallery, they do a lot of research there and they researched into the art by this woman. And I don't think anyone, any one of us had heard of her before. So it shows what research can do. And one of the things one of the researchers said that really stuck in my mind was that they got to a point where they knew enough about her. They had a few of her paintings and they wanted more in order to get an exhibition together. And they said, we put the word out. I don't know exactly what that meant, but what I'm assuming it meant was that they told all their networks, all their art networks, all the people who own art and said, you know, do you have any Sarah Biffin paintings? Um, and a whole load came forth and then they had the exhibition. Well, it struck me about that, that, you know, none of us had heard of Sarah Biffin. Now quite a lot of us have heard of Sarah Biffin. None of us knew where to go and see a Sarah Biffin painting. Well, what I'm guessing is that after that exhibition, there will be a few more around. You can't expect there, be, to, there to be loads of art by women in galleries, it, it, sorry, it, in auction rooms, when that simply hasn't been the demand for it. We're going to have to look for women artists. We're going to have to look for their art in very much the way the Advancing Women Artists Project in Florence did. I don't know if you're familiar with that, Hannah. Yeah, yes, yeah, it's brilliant, brilliant campaign. Yeah, because they, they went into um, storerooms and attics and cellars of all the museums and churches in Florence looking for art by women. And as a result of what they did, they, they when they found it, they said to the museum, we will restore it for nothing on condition you hang it. Um, and as a result of that, there are 128 paintings by women now hanging on, on the walls of public galleries in Florence. Um, so these things can be done, but they can't be expected to arrive on a plate. No. No, I think I watched, um, I think, my, I'm not sure if it's still on YouTube, but I think I watched a Zoom lecture conversation about that, about that campaign. Yeah, it exactly shows what can be done, what should be being done. Um, and I'm struck when you mentioned Sarah Biffin about my research is looking into how female artists work was exhibited and as exhibited now in the language on the labels and how things are acquired by art galleries. Even the art by women artists that is in some of our national public collections is oftentimes was kind of donated by them or donated by the family to actually have curators that seek out, acquire, buy pieces. Um, obviously the Gentileschi at the National Gallery was, but that's something, like you say, actually investing, investing that money. Um, yeah, you raise a very good point because Within the system, as you know, I've spent time exploring the system and how it works, there are certain things which keep the whole thing going. And yes. one of them is the system of bequests. Yes. Uh, you know, bequests, you know, what that basically means is that there's some, uh, that somebody has died and they have a legacy. And among that is a painting or two, um, you know, by a well-known artist, they approach a gallery and they say, would you like this? And they take it, if they want it, they take it in lieu of um, yes. inheritance tax. So it's not free um, to the country, it, it is paid for. Um, and of course, what that tends to do is just reinforce the whole system where sort of rich white men buy paintings by white men. 
and then they when they die they leave them to the gallery so we have you know just this last year there've been another two paintings um, by men gone to the national gallery via the bequest scheme mm. so that kind of thing there needs to be something very active um, to change the way that museums acquire new work Definitely, and to look at kind of funding schemes that are kind of really pinpoint focused on addressing addressing these issues. Well, thank you so much, Anita, for all that you're doing at the moment. It's an incredibly important campaign, and thank you for taking the time to speak to us today. We really appreciate it here at the Society. Very nice to talk to you, Hannah, and thank you for giving me this space. No, thank you so much. And to all our listeners out there, please do get involved. Please do search out Art for All by All on social media. And Anita mentioned all the ways that you can get involved and be supportive and contacting your local galleries and actually looking out for women artists in their collections. Mm -hmm.